Want to know anything and everything related to pets? You're in the right place. Join us as we talk to pet industry experts about pet fitness and health, pet travel, foods and recipes, pet horoscopes, and much, much more. This episode is brought to you by Fido Fitness and Play, the pet industry's leader in pet transportation. This is Everything Pets with your host, Ed Walden. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Pets podcast. I'm your host, Ed Walden, podcasting from Washington, D.C., in the Fido Fitness and Play Power Center. Today, we're going to chat with one of my newest friends out of New York, Dr. Thomas Infornuso. He's talking with us today about canine hip dysplasia and canine osteoarthritis. Ouch. You see, dogs' hips and joints are under great pressure as they jump, walk, run, and play. Dr. Infernuso will explain what hip dysplasia and canine arthritis are, how they're diagnosed, and possible treatments. But before we get into such a painful discussion, let's start with a good joke to lighten the mood. Why aren't dogs good dancers? Because they have two left feet. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's hear from Zoe Dub and our sponsor. Hi, pet parents. Zoe Dub here. And I want to tell you about our friends at Fido Fitness and Play, North America's number one pet transportation service. Fido Fitness and Play has been safely transporting pets since 2008 in clean, temperature-controlled vehicles, reliably and on time. If you need pet transportation service, call our friends at Fido Fitness and Play at 844-738-3973 or visit their website at FidoFitnessandPlay.com. You can find them on Twitter at DC Fido. Today's guest, Dr. Thomas Infernuso, is a board-certified veterinary surgeon. He is the founder and medical director of the Animal Surgical Center in East Meadow, New York. Dr. Infernuso specializes in small animal surgery. Dr. Infernuso, thanks for joining us on the Everything Pets podcast. My pleasure, sir. Ed, I'm delighted to be here. All right. Thank you. Now, pet parents of the larger breed dogs often tremble at the term hip dysplasia. Would you share with us what exactly is hip dysplasia? Sure. Yeah, hip dysplasia is a pretty debilitating type of condition that a lot of large breed dogs uh, go through. Most often it's a multifactorial problem, genetics, environmental, dietary, just in light of the fact that big dogs, unfortunately, are inbred, most often pure breed dogs, and because of the inbreeding, that leads to this hip dysplasia. And I tell people all the time what, what dysplasia is, by definition, is a mismatch between two bones. So the joint is made of two bones, and if the two bones are not fitting properly, what is going to happen is if the socket is too small compared to the ball, it's not going to fit, right? Or the the opposite, the ball is too big and the socket is too small, that it's not going to be a proper fit. So the displacement is just a mismatch. So the two bones are not connecting properly. So that leads to a lot of stress on the surface of the of the bone, which is the cartilage. And as time goes on, that wear and tear leads to the bone-on-bone. And then, of course, as you know, it's going to be leading to arthritis 
and then irreversible damage that leads in people as well as in a lot of the animals to replacements. That's why a lot of older people get knee and hip replaced. Why? Because the cartilage is completely, completely wiped out, and now you have no more reservoir for healthy joints. Gotcha. Now, is hip dysplasia only found in large breed dogs? Most often, yeah. And there are small breed dogs that can have other conditions where the actual head of the femur, which is the ball, is not developing properly. And then that cartilage starts dying off and um, or the neck of that femur dies off for some blood supply disorder that nobody really understands why that happens. And in light of that, what happens is, you know, the bone dies and then they basically fracture the bone. And that is not really dysplasia, but it can be included into that category, if you want to say that. So most often it's large breed dogs. Why are certain dog breeds prone to hip dysplasia, while others, it's not so prevalent? Yeah, because of genetics. Like German Shepherds, Labradors, Rottweilers. A lot of these dogs are inbred, which implies the genetic pool is limited. And that leads to, unfortunately, the whole mismatch that was referring earlier and that is the cause of dysplasia. So it's mostly in breeding. So genetic and then overweight issues. A lot of a lot of puppies they're over they're, they're unfortunately overweight, obese. They have a propensity to have hip dysplasia later on because of the muscle mass, the skeletal mass, they're not matching properly. This this proportion between muscle mass and skeleton that leads to the mismatch between between the two bones, and that leads to the dysplasia. Usually overweight problems, even in people, is going to increase the stress over the articular cartilage, which is the, 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 the tissue that covers the bone at the level of the joint, that because of the increased stress leads to that wear and tear. Oh. So is there any way that hip dysplasia could be detected in a puppy, let's say prior to uh, a pet parent buying a puppy? Yeah, so there are a lot of uh, most often clinical signs of hip dysplasia. So how do you diagnose hip dysplasia? And I love the question that you asked me. So a lot of times people ask me, you know, is my dog is going to have hip dysplasia? What I tell them uh, very frequently is clinical signs. Is your dog as a puppy, and I'm talking about four or five months, is he reluctant to lay down? Is he stiff when he gets up? Does he have a hard time going up and down the stairs? Does he have any any type of, of clinical signs related to pain? when they stretch the back legs, all those signs are indicative of the beginning of hip dysplasia. And then, of course, if you really want to understand chronologically the way hip dysplasia is, is a bimodal uh, pathology. And I call it like, like that because initially there is a lot of movement between the, the ball and the socket. So there's a lot of movement because there is not a good fit. Right. And because of that, initially they're stiff because there's a lot of inflammation that occurs because of the abnormal hit over the surface of that cartilage that leads over time to the wear and tear. And then they get a little better. And then later on, they get bone spurs and all that arthritis that it becomes really debilitating. So can you, to answer your question is, how do you know that a dog has a dysplasia? Most often by evaluating clinical signs that will lead to diagnostics, like taking x-rays and see and make sure that, uh, you know, you can document it. Can hip dysplasia be prevented? Hip dysplasia cannot be prevented. If you have it, you deal with it, but clearly you can uh, modify the environment. So make sure you don't overfeed them control the weight, uh, utilize supplements, preserve the articular cartilage. Preservation and maintenance of that 
of that articular cartilage is what is going to make a difference. Now, if you have a, a hip that is not fitting properly, you cannot really reverse that, but you can preserve the natural environment of that joint. So how do you balance because you kind of want to make sure that your dog's getting proper exercise. You know, you don't want a fat, lazy dog. So you want to walk your dog, exercise your dog, let your dog play. How do you balance that with if you know that your dog has hip dysplasia? It's a beautiful question. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. You don't want to exacerbate the clinical signs. I know what you're saying is if you have a dog that's showing clinical signs of hip dysplasia, you get x-rays documented, you have it. What are you going to do next if you don't want to jump to the surgery? What you can do is control the exercise. Instead of letting it run at the dog park for hours, you want to control it. You want to make sure they don't get crazy. You want to make sure if you have a lot of stairs, you want to block them off. If you have a high bed, the dog goes up and on the steps or goes up and on the beds, you're going to control that. And all those environmental changes in the household can mitigate a little bit the progression of the or through the changes that will develop later on. Because that is the bottom line. The whole eventually that hip by age, by usage, is going to deteriorate, right? The joint will get old no matter what. If you have a good hip or you have a bad hip. The only thing is if you have a bad hip, what is going to happen? You're going to end up getting worse earlier in life than a patient that has a normal hip. So control the environment, control the diet, and maximize the supplementations. That really makes a difference. So uh, what you're saying is that there is no cure for hip dysplasia? Unless you do surgeries. Oh, so let's get into surgeries then. So what does surgery do? So the surgery option, besides the medical management and conservative management, that we have spoken is a very viable option. And I tell people all the time, you get into surgery when the clinical signs are indicative of a need for surgeries. Because I've seen cases where patient puppies get x-rays that have changes associated with hip dysplasia. And then um, and I asked them, I was like, you know, is your dog limping? Is your dog stiff in the morning? It's like, no, he's actually doing great. He's lying, running, jumping, doesn't have any problems at all. And, uh, well, you know, your dog has a lot of changes on the x-rays. They're, they're really leading to believe that you're dealing with hip dysplasia. So what I tell them, here's the, here's the very interesting topic. The changes associated with hip dysplasia on the x-rays do not match what the clinical signs are. I've seen a lot of dogs that have a bad, bad hip on an x-rays, and they're completely fine. Vice versa, I've seen dogs that can barely walk with mild changes on x-rays. So the treatment options in this case would be surgery is when you have dogs that can barely walk with indications of bad hips confirmed on an x-rays, that is what I recommend surgery. Because eventually when you have bad hips, you're going to end up with bad knees because the alignment is going to be off. And because of that, they're going to end up with ACL tears. So young dogs with bad clinical signs of wobbly, really have stiff gait and uh, reluctant to jump and run they're going to end up, they're going to be good candidates for surgery. So in, uh, in veterinary medicine, we do total hip replacements, all right? That is one option. The other option is what we call the femoral head ostectomy, which is basically removing the ball of the femur. So people get all confused. Like, well, what, is, what is going to happen if you remove the ball and now you don't have any more of that, that bone-on-bone contact because now the joint is made of the socket and then just the shaft of the femur how is my dog is going to walk? And I can go over that with you. And then there are other surgeries like a triple pelvic osteotomy, a lot of fancy surgeries that indicate just repositioning the cup so you get more coverage over the bone. 
And um, what I tell people all the time, it really depends on the patient's finances. Of course, total hip replacement is a great modality, surgical modality, but it's very expensive. I mean, you're talking about almost 10 grand. A lot of people can't afford that. It's for hip. It has a lot of money. Now, if you have both hips, because 80 to 90% of dogs have a bilateral disease, so both hips get affected. So you're talking about 20 grand, right? Now, the total hip option is great. And people, a lot of, a lot of humans get hip replacement, knee replacements, and elbow replacements, all those type of replacements. The only difference is the chances of having problems are a little higher than people because of, again, it's hard to tell a dog, stay still, don't move during the healing phase, and that can lead to a massive complication that you can see with a total hip replacements. And I can, I can mention a bunch of it. You know, you have a fake prosthetic in there, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fake joint that can get infected. The bone might not accommodate the implants very well, so it can fracture. The, the actual new socket, the new ball can pop out, so it's called laxation. And all this combination of complications can lead to a failure. And if that total hip fails, you can have really irreversible changes, irreversible complications where I've seen dogs losing their leg for that. Now, is that the norm? No, but it's something that can potentially happen. The other option is what I was telling you about removing the ball of the femur. That is called FHO, femoral, which is the femur, right, the leg, uh, head, which is the ball, ostectomy, which implies removing the ball. What you rely on is the buildup of scar tissue. And what you do in reality is avoid the contact between the socket and the ball. Because we say hip dysplasia, by definition, is the lock of, is a mismatch between the two bones. Now, if the ball is sitting that cup by increasing, you know, because of uh, not feeding properly, what we're going to do is removing the ball. And now what you rely on, you're going to have a gap. And that gap is going to be filled in with scar tissue. Now, scar tissue has great advantages in people as well as in animals is deprived of nerve endings, so there's no pain, and it's very elastic, right? Think about it. Scar is very elastic. If you stretch it, it stretches. And there, if, you, if you think about a, a person that got a burn, like a burn victim, and you get a needle, a knife, and you just stab them, they can't feel anything. Why? Because scar tissue has no nerve endings. So you're relieving the pain associated with a bone-on-bone contact. You're reestablishing the range of emotion because now you have... You know, you have a scar that is very elastic, very elastic and very flexible. So they're going to regain the function, right, the range of emotion, and there's not going to be any pain associated with that. But those two things are extremely important to really ensure the function of that. Will you explain to our listeners what osteoarthritis is? Osteoarthritis is basically the developmental, the development of bone spurs once the, the cartilage gets lost. So let me just rephrase that. A joint is made of two bones, right? The surface of the bone is made of cartilage. Once the cartilage gets lost, or there's a wear and tear on that cartilage, you're going to have bone exposure. The bone exposed is going to lead to bone spurs. And bone spurs are basically those, those pieces of bone that try to build up to stabilize the joint because the cartilage is deprived. So if you look at people that have arthritis, they can barely bend. Mostly in the people that have a rheumatoid arthritis, their joints are so stiff. They lose that flexibility because everything is, is, is all full of bone spurs, right? That is what arthritis is. It's a very debilitating condition where it's extremely painful because now there is bone exposed 
to the fluid inside the joint, and that incites a cycle of inflammation. It can be very, very, very painful. That is pretty much what arthritis is, is the loss of cartilage that covers the bone at the level of the joint. And of course, you can imagine, a lot of dogs, because of arthritis, they get put down because of manageable, because the pain becomes so unmanageable that clients can't deal to see their pets in so much pain. And in people, it's the same thing. And that explains why humans at nine years of age end up with a hip replacement, understanding the complexity of the surgery as well as the risk associated with anesthesia. So um, arthritis is basically the development of bone spurs secondary to loss of cartilage that can lead to a very, very, very bad complications uh, to a point of allowing this patient to be disabled. Does osteoarthritis only occur in large breed dogs or could it occur in all breeds, large and small? Yeah, so osteoarthritis develops in any breeds of dogs. Any 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 patients that has as a joint will develop osteoarthritis. Now, osteoarthritis, I just want to make sure it's very clear, is the progression of a joint that gets old. As your joint gets old, what happens? You're going to lose cartilage, right, because of usage. You know, older you get, more usage you get on that surface. As, your, as the arthritis develops, as the, as the person, or in this case would be the dog, gets older, he's going to get arthritis. Now, if you have a dysplasia condition, like an elbow dysplasia, hip dysplasia, which you don't have that proper fit, the wear and tear is going to get fast. It's going to progress much quicker. And that is what leads to the progression of arthritis much faster. So I've seen dogs there two years of age. They have arthritic changes on the x-rays that make them like they're 10 years old. Why? Because they're worn down on that cartilage. So the cartilage cartilage loss is so significant that if you compare it to a normal dog, it's that joint of a 10-year-old dog. It's quite, it's, quite, it's quite depressing. What are some of the treatments for osteoarthritis? Most often when you have advanced osteoarthritis, um, is medical management. You know, physical therapy, supplements, acupuncture, all those holistic type of modalities, CBD oil, turmeric, um, fish oil, glucosamine products. And again, what you're doing is just maintaining the environment of the joint just to, to control it and diet. You got to get this dog lean you got to get the weight off because that is what is going to really lessen the load of those joints they're they're really compromised and of course surgery is the option that we have discussed earlier you know you can uh, replace that joint or you can remove that ball and you can reestablish you know a free a pain-free environment for them to be at least at least not in that discomfort they will be if no surgery would have been done Dr. Infernuso, you have given us lots of information and provided plenty of clarity with respect to canine joint conditions. If someone from our listening audience wanted to reach out to you, how could they? I would love to help them out. So I'm the um, surgeon at the Animal Surgical Center in, um, in New York. They can certainly reach me through social media. We have a website, animalhospitalsurgicalcenter.com. That is the website. They can um, they can send us an email or send any any type of uh, request on social media. I'll be more than happy to get back to them. And there's a lot of um, a lot of information on uh, on the website as well as on YouTube videos that we we created to add value to clients, mostly people that uh, don't really understand the condition and they want more more information in that regard. Doctor Infernuso. 
It was certainly fun and a privilege to have you on the show. I certainly hope that you'll come back and be with us again at some point in time later this year. And you're the man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. That's Dr. Thomas Infernuso, pet lovers. Hello, animal lovers. Do you or someone you know care for a pet that requires surgery and may not have the resources to have it done? Here at the Animal Surgical Center of East Meadow, New York, our mission is to save as many animals as possible by providing excellent service at a fair price. The Animal Surgical Center provides compassionate care around the clock in a clean, modern, state-of-the-art facility. If you are in the New York City area, give the Animal Surgical Center a call at 516-490-5905. That's 516-490-5905. And someone from our friendly staff will be happy to answer any questions or schedule your pet for an appointment. Visit our website at www.animal-surgical.com. All right, Everything Pets podcast family. This episode was loaded with information about canine hip dysplasia and osteoarthritis. Dog parents, let's be sure to keep a watchful eye on our doggies for any changes in their movements. A special thanks to our engineer behind the glass, Tori Betts, for making this possible. Until next time, my friends, always be kind to pets and animals because they'll be kind to you. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Podcast Pets. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel on YouTube at the Everything Pets Podcast. And also check out our website at TalkingPets247.com for special offers and product information. Okay, I'm Ed Walden, and I am out of here. Hi, Daddy. Love this episode of Everything Pets? Let us know with a review. Also, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Follow us on social media at Podcast Pets. And check out our website at TalkingPets247.com. This episode is brought to you by Final Fitness and Play, your pet transportation expert.